Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Luke 6, verses 1 through 11, and you can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1,599. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, He ate what is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Last week and this week, we've been talking about Sabbath, and I've used a bit of a springboard for these conversations to come out of the Heidelberg Catechism teaching around Sabbath, around the fourth commandment. So I'll I'll just read this today, um, so no need to to respond. You can read along and and kind of pay attention to, to the words and let the words sit with you. The first half that we see on the screen right now really is about Sabbath keeping, How do we keep the Sabbath day? And the second half, which is on the next slide, you'll see is much more about Sabbath making. What does it it mean to to make Sabbath with our whole lives? And and so we'll we'll play on that. And today's message and this text really is going to focus on that second half. What is God's will for you in the fourth commandment? First, that the gospel ministry and education for it be maintained and that especially on the festive day of rest, I diligently attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to God publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways, let the Lord work in me through his spirit, and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath first half focused on the Sabbath day itself. The second half focused on every day of our lives. 
So something of the Sabbath becoming a pattern of living, a way of doing life together as God's people. Sabbath making. How many of you have an idol? There's a few honest people. I had an idol. It's called Civ 3. Anybody know what I'm talking about yet? A few ahead, a few people nodding their heads. Civilization is a computer game put together by Sid Meier, and it was given to me as a gift. It was a fun game to play. I played it for a little bit, had fun with it. I played it a little bit more. I played it some more. And in fact, I started playing it so much and getting so wrapped up in this game that Henny would go to bed around 11.30 at night and she'd come into the office at 2 in the morning and say, you coming to bed yet? I'd say, yeah, just one more turn. And it went on like that for over a year and a half, playing those games again and again. I had times where I... I played actually through the night and it was 6.30 in the morning and the sun's coming up and Henny's getting out of bed to start her work shift and I'm bleary-eyed clicking plays still. It got into me. It became what I did and it became a focus for me and it literally, at the time where I let go of it, meant me taking that computer disc and snapping it to break the hold to have what had started out as a good gift, a time of play and relaxation, had become an idol that needed to be broken. That's what's happening here. The Sabbath day, a good gift, a right gift, a creational gift, had become for the people of God an idol that kept them from seeing God and seeing their neighbor from loving God and loving their neighbor. It had become so entrenched in their way of living that nothing could come in between that and anything else, not even the living God walking and standing among them. I want us to hear what's happening in this text. There's two stories being told about two Sabbath days, and smack in the middle of that is Jesus' statement that he, the Son of Man, speaking about himself, is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not given to rule over us or control us, but is given as a gift in which we get to recognize the giver of that gift. And the main sin of the Pharisees in this text is that they failed to recognize the giver of that gift when he was standing in their midst reading scripture to them. They were so intent on keeping this Sabbath day they could no longer see the God the Sabbath pointed to. It's kind of scary, isn't it? Something good being given to us and we treasure it so much that it gets in our way of seeing God even when he's present with us. I want to give us a little bit bigger picture to help us understand how, how deeply entrenched this struggle was for the Pharisees and the other leaders at that time, how, how much they 
treasured the Sabbath day. And I want to do that by pointing to a couple other Sabbath days where Jesus did things that set them off, and quite often it was around healing. And this comes from John chapter 9. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. They actually go on and there's kind of an inquisition because after this they drag the man's parents into court and, and they try and, and get a good answer out of the man's parents and the man's parents say, hey, he's of age, ask him. In other words, they didn't want to get in the way of the Pharisees and their idol. You ever have that? You see someone else's idol, you really don't want to get in the way of it? We sometimes call them sacred cows that people have. And, and we don't want to get in the way of someone else's sacred cow because we know they're going to blow up at us. As an aside, I once went out with some friends in Pennsylvania in the farm field areas there on the eastern end, few farms, and, and they were telling me that what they did for fun at night was to go cow tipping. They'd go out in the field and the cows sleep standing up and they'd push the cow and then they'd go running. There's some of that that Jesus is actually doing in this text. He's pushing a sacred cow. He knows it, and he's pushing on it, and he's saying this cow has to get out of the way in order for you to see who God is. And by the way, I'm not recommending you go out cow tipping. Teenagers, don't take that and go back home, okay? Uh, there was... In this context, in this text, some sense of angst and, and a sense for the Pharisees that they had, they had been doing what was right. It was right for them to protect the Sabbath day, to, to keep themselves and God's people holy. They had, they had a sense of righteousness that went into this, that, that there was goodness in what they were doing. But somehow that had been perverted along the way. And as they did, they began wrestling with who does this Jesus think he is? And you see the wrestling in this John text. He's doing something that we know godly people don't do. He's breaking the Sabbath, and he's breaking it by healing somebody. It may sound kind of odd to us. But healing was considered work. And as I mentioned last week, there's actually... 39 different laws around the Sabbath, groupings of laws that they had developed. And, and in those 39 different laws, one of them was, was, the, was working. And, and part of work, it was work to heal somebody. So it was a violation of the Sabbath if you healed somebody on the Sabbath because that meant you had done some work. There was one exception. If the person was likely not to live until the next day, you could heal them on the Sabbath day. But Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, if you read this John 9 story, Jesus is around the next day and a couple days after in Jerusalem. He could have waited to heal this guy, but he didn't. He healed him on the Sabbath. He pushed that sacred cow. 
He said, there's something here where your Sabbath day is no longer allowing you to see God or see the people around you. It's gotten in the way and it needs to be moved out of the way. Mark 3, which is Mark's telling of the story we're reading in Luke today. And and, and Mark, Mark tends to get a little more pointed with the reactions. Luke tends to, to have some, some kind of casual stories going on and, and he says, yeah, they were troubled or they were frustrated. Mark tends to be really pointed and, and just say, this is what was happening. And here's Mark's summary of what happened after Jesus healed this man with the shriveled arm. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do, good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked at them in anger Something in Jesus was provoked by their response, their refusal to respond to a simple question. Is it, is it right to do good on the Sabbath? Seems like such a simple question. And they refuse to answer it. And Jesus is angry that they won't even acknowledge that. The Sabbath has become such an idol to them that they can't even answer that question. And deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. In Mark's telling of the gospel, this is the story that led to the start of the journey to the cross. This man is killing our idols and we better kill him before he gets rid of everything we treasure. Everything we hold dear, he's got to die or we lose. And they know it and they're willing to plot with the foreign government that's oppressing the people of God. That's how significant the sacred cow is. This gift had become an idol and they are willing to to kill Jesus in order to keep it. Should give us a little pause as we ask about our own idols. What's getting in the way of us seeing God? What's getting in the way of us following God? What is it that we know God's calling us to do and, and we feel the Spirit nudging us on of saying, it's not the way you ought to go. And we're resisting and we're putting up walls and we're defending ourselves and coming up with all sorts of excuses and all sorts of justifications. What is it that's getting in the way? Where are our idols? And what are we willing to lose in order to keep them? Jesus does something remarkable in this text absolutely remarkable and unless we understand the culture of the synagogue we won't understand the significance of it there's a man sitting there with a shriveled arm he's sitting among the people in the synagogue which was a gracious act that they would allow him to be present because if you had a physical deformity they were convinced that either you sinned or your parents had sinned You deserve to be physically deformed because of your sin. Your sin is the judgment upon you. The deformity, sorry, is the judgment upon you for the sin. And because you are such an obvious sinner, 
this man never would have been called to stand up front and read scripture. All of his friends, all of his peers, the people he grew up with, the other men in the community would have gone up front and taken their turn to read the scripture and they would have walked up and they would have been handed a scroll and unread the scroll, unrolled the scroll and they would have read God's word to God's people and been an integral part of it, but not this man. He never would have stood up front. In fact, he would have sat in the back somewhere. A weekly reminder of his shame that there's something wrong with him that he's not fully acceptable to God that he must stay on the fringes and the edges he's not allowed in he's not allowed to hold God's word and Jesus calls him up says come on up front stand up front Stand in the place that the teachers stand. Do you see what's happening? Their sacred Sabbath traditions are, are, are being violated. They, they had a whole rule and order of who was allowed to be where in the sanctuary and who could be close to God and who was far from God. And, and it was their own synagogue caste system. And this man didn't belong up front. And Jesus, not only did he violate the Sabbath by allowing his disciples to eat the kernels of corn, he's now violating the Sabbath in the middle of the synagogue by allowing a deformed man to stand up front. An obvious sinner. Not someone who has it all together. But imagine what that moment was like for that man who's always sat on the sidelines. Imagine in the moment that gift of grace to him and that, that presence of God to him, that God says to him, I see you. I see you in your suffering. I've known you in your, your shame and the burden that you've carried. I've seen the sin that's been put upon you and the weight that you can't carry and I want to take it away. And he restores them public, that man publicly And then he says to him, stretch out your arm. And he restores him to a place he never imagined he would be. A man who has been made whole by God. A man who can stand with the rest of God's people in that culture. A man who can look anyone else eye to eye now. Because his deformity has been taken away. The barrier that kept him from being part of God's people has been removed. He experienced on that Sabbath day the presence of God in his life in a way that he could not have comprehended before and he was welcomed into God's presence. Jesus does something remarkable in tying together the healing of people the healing of those who are suffering, the inclusion of those who have been ostracized with our Sabbath practices. Essentially what he's doing is he's ushering us into something that the prophets have been saying all along, that you cannot separate worship from the way you live the rest of the week. You cannot separate your dedication from God from the way you love and treat the people around you. They are intimately and inextricably, that means you can't pull them apart, intertwined with each other. Isaiah 58 
probably one of the passages that ties this together the most. It begins with someone complaining to God that they have been fasting and God won't listen to them. And God responds to them and says, but on your day of fasting, you keep people in chains. You fail to pay your workers what they deserve. You trample on other people's rights. This is the fasting that I've chosen. If you want to get close to me, get close to the people you don't like. If you want to get close to me, get close to them. And here's, here's how Isaiah writes it. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Sounds like something Jesus said. about going to visit the sick, about giving a cup of water to the thirsty, about clothing the naked, about coming alongside those who are in prison. Matthew 25, that whole sheep and goats. You want to be in God's presence. You want to, to worship God and come before God. It is done intimately with the way we treat those who are marginalized in our communities, those who have been ostracized. Love the least of these is intimately tied to how we love God. And, and the interesting thing about Isaiah 58, you know where it ends? This section ends? If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, well, isn't that interesting? You keep Sabbath by making Sabbath for others making a place where they can rest and experience God's presence, where the burdens of life and, and the weight of sin and brokenness that's been weighing so heavily on them is lifted up from them. And then that ushers you into a place where you can actually keep Sabbath with God's people. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it not by going your own way and not by do, not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. It will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and the feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Sabbath keeping, intimately tied with Sabbath making. The real point in all of that is that as we make Sabbath for others, we begin to experience the presence of God in others. I was at this wonderful conference the last few days that the CRC had, Inspire Conference. It was a gathering where we didn't make any decisions and didn't argue. It's wonderful. We got together to sit with each other and say, what are you learning? How are you experiencing God in your community? What can we learn from you? And to tell stories and to pray with each other and encourage each other. Rich Mao, who's coming here later this year, he'll be at Redeemer in, in October, right? October? Be here in October, and he's, he's going to talk, but he kicked off the whole event for us. And he introduced us to, to a, a saint of the Catholic Church, Teresa of Lisieux. 
and he tells the story of Teresa of Lisieux, who was only in her 20s when she write, writes this, but, but tells the story of her in her journal where she had a problem with another nun that she couldn't stand. She absolutely could not stand this nun, and she knew it was not right that she had such animosity towards this other nun, so she began praying that she would learn to praise and thank this nun every time she saw her. So she began to get into this practice of every time she interacted with this nun, naming the good qualities that God had placed in her so that she could see in her more than just the trouble and the headache that that nun brought to Teresa, but she could see God in her. And what she began to discover is that as she did that, she fell more in love with God for the wonder in which God had created this other nun. Cranky, pain in the butt, <laughs> nun. And she took this posture and it's a posture that, that we're called into and Jesus was actually calling those people gathered there to see and to recognize in that synagogue sanctuary as they gathered. He was calling them to see that this man with a shriveled hand was made in God's image and had some beauty to him to offer to the rest of God's people that he had been created by God to extend God's love and faithfulness in ways that they had not imagined because they only saw his deformity and they only saw their rules. Are we willing to see each and every person? The people in jail? The immigrants who come into town? Uh, the people who are old and infirm and unable to move? The people who, who are young and seem to be always underfoot? The people who run through our sanctuary? the people who sit in the next cubicle from us at work or sit at the next desk at school? Are we willing to look and see in them the gift of God that they are as they bear God's image? They might not do it perfectly, but folks, we don't either. Are we willing to see each and every person as a gift from God? The Sabbath day posture that Jesus is calling his people to is one where we let go of the patterns of this world. Certainly the work patterns that drive us to think efficiency and productivity is the meaning of our life. Sabbath keeping gives us a break from that, reorients us. But Sabbath making puts us in a posture where we remember again who God is and we re realize that God's image is scattered all around us and that God genuinely loves to show his image through the people who are around us. You may recall this verse. The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus is setting it before us today. Will you love me and the people around you? Will we love God as God shows himself in the people around us? And if we can't see God clearly in the people around us, will we take the time to get to know them until we do? Until we see that they too bear God's image.
And as we see that, they'll experience what that shriveled man, shriveled arm man experienced that day. Restoration and the love of God tangibly restoring their lives. Let's pray. Thank you for the gift of Sabbath, a day in which we can rest and dwell in your presence. Thank you for the gift of Sabbath, a day in which you reorient our hearts and our mind and our eyes, that we might see and believe that you have made each and every person and that we might not overlook anyone but delight in your goodness as it shows up in the faces and in the lives of the people around us. Forgive us, Lord, for our spiritual blindness. Forgive us for the way we are blinded by our idols. Release us from them, that we might see the people you have placed closest to us, and that we might see you in them. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Invite us to stand and sing together the servant song. We'll sing verses 1, 3, 4, and 5. Please stand as we sing.